0: Just take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible today, you'll find that on page 976, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 14, which I should have memorized, but I don't. So if anyone does, and you're willing to come up here and do this, you're than really welcome. So pressure's on, so... who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we can just say amen to that. We do praise you, this amazing thing that you've done for us through your son. We would ask now that, you, that as this word is preached and explained to us by our pastor, that you would speak through him and that we would understand even more fully what you have done for us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: All right, so I've switched mics. Can I move now? We're good? All right. Well, now you're in trouble. I can move. Um, I just wanted to remind you before we launch into our study about our Good Friday service uh, on March 30th, um, we 'll be gathering with about five other congregations here at Gray Road uh, in order to remember the death of Christ. And on that night we will take an offering. A couple of years ago, we took it in order to support uh, uh, to help Good News Mission purchase a new van this year. We are taking that offering uh, to help with the outfit and passage of two different missionaries. One is our own Tim and Karen Sanford, seeking to add to their outfit and passage to get them to North Africa. And then Lynette Circle, who is daughter of Chuck Circle, the pastor at Franklin Road Baptist Church, uh, is headed to Hungary to work with Word of Life uh, there. And so uh, there should be a half sheet in your box with information about, the, about them. Uh, but we are going to give that night to help those missionaries and we'll just split it 50-50 between them. And then during our uh, after-service fellowship that we always have in the gymnasium, uh, they will have displays there for you uh, to see. Um, So, Deb, I'm going to call on you again. Deb, what date do you leave? I cannot... The 12th. The letter is on my kitchen counter at home. No, it's on my desk at home. I haven't finished memorizing it yet, so I'll get back to you on that. (laughs) April 12th. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, So the time has come for your final examination on Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. It is a fill-in-the-blank examination, and we will not review before we take the test. I know, that's like the worst, because you thought, man, I had one last shot at it. I hope you were listening, but let's uh, read together. Our goal, if you're a guest with us, has been to memorize these 12 verses um, as we have studied our way through them. So, here we go. You ready? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Amen. You did well. Fill in the blank is helpful, isn't it? I don't know if you would feel like you could do that, uh, apart from the fill in the blanks, I get caught up doing it together because I'm just used to saying things very, very quickly. So, uh, but that's just me. I, I actually memorized this a while back uh, and I went to South Africa uh, during the time that I was doing this. And as I told you, I was doing it a verse a day. So as I'm walking up and down the aisle of the plane, you know, your doctor tells you get up and walk, you know, every hour or so on those long flights. So I'm up and I'm just walking. Everybody else is like. Pretty much sleeping. I can't sleep well on those long flights. But I'm walking back and forth, and you know, I'm saying, "In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses." You know, I'm trying to get it into all these folks just like through osmosis as I walk, as I walk through, uh, mumbling to myself, trying. Well, I may have been labeled the crazy person. I'll never know. But uh, but today we finish our study in these twelve verses. We have seen the various blessings that are ours in Christ. The question that remains here at the end of these blessings for which we bless God is how certain are we that we have these blessings from God? How can we be certain? Is certainty even possible? Doubt about one's spiritual condition Doubt about whether one is actually blessed in these ways is a common experience. A lack of assurance often plagues believers. But why? Well, I want to give you four things that I have observed that I'll just chalk up to four reasons. I won't say they're cumulative. I'm sure you could come up with one and and help me out. But four reasons that people often begin to lack assurance. One is a wrong view of our circumstances. Too often we come to believe in a kind of Christian karma which doesn't exist. That if I am really blessed by God my life will look like this. But if my life doesn't look like that God must not Love me like I thought he did. I must not really be his if I'm having to suffer these kinds of things. If, I'm, if that relationship is in that place, if that disease has come my way, if that tragedy just came over the horizon. A wrong view of circumstances can often lead people to doubt whether they actually belong to God. Secondly, a pattern of disobedience a pattern of disobedience. Dear friends, if you're a believer in Jesus, hear this. God will not allow you to go on in a pattern of disobedience and remain confident that you are His. He will graciously press down on your soul and even allow these kinds of this lack of assurance, he's not going to say, hey, don't you worry about sin. Don't you worry about it. Look, there's a song on the radio right now that says, you know, when it, it, there are some days I lose the battle, but grace says it doesn't matter. Will you tell that to all the people that come in to, to talk to me whose lives are falling apart because of sin and sin by believers? It may not matter in the end. Sin may not, does not shake Away, the salvation of the Lord, but sin, a pattern of sin, certainly erodes our confidence that we belong to Jesus, and rightly so. Because we shouldn't feel settled with God. We shouldn't experience confidence in Christ while we're in a pattern of disobedience. I've also observed that a wrong understanding of the gospel leads to a lack of assurance. This is tied to the whole idea of a pattern of disobedience. But when you, when you begin to think that you gain or lose merit based on your actions, that this week I really nailed my quiet time, right? And this week, I mean, after Sunday morning Sunday school, I shared Jesus with like 20 people this week. God must love me more. I must be on better ground. And then the following week comes. And you didn't nail a quiet time so much as you lost the nail. You don't even know where the nail is. And you were too busy or too apathetic or you just flat out feared man more than you loved God, more than you loved that other person to actually share Jesus. And you... can begin to think, if you have a wrong understanding of the gospel, that, oh, I'm I'm on lower ground with God. Dear friends, the gospel teaches us that Jesus not only died so that our sin is forgiven, but so that His righteousness is imputed to us. His righteousness is counted as ours. We stand justified before God. Which means that Our piddly good works cannot increase God's favor toward us. God's favor is toward us because of Christ, not because of us. If Christ's righteousness is perfect, which it is, then what can my solid week of quiet times add to that righteousness? Nothing. Nothing. So it's a lack of understanding of the gospel sometimes it gets people thinking, I'm not really sure if I'm a Christian because quiet times are off this week. I'm not, I'm not feeling it, man. And lastly, what I would call just avoiding spiritual disciplines will lead to a lack of assurance often. God has graciously given us means by which our faith is strengthened. The Scripture and prayer and the gathering of God's people and giving and serving and a whole host of other of these regular kinds of disciplines. And when you get out of those disciplines is when you are more likely to have your assurance begin to erode. You tell me, the months when you read the Bible two times versus the months you read the Bible 20 times... Your experience of the Lord and of your faith being strengthened and built is completely different. This is not to say you're on worse ground. It's just to say that God, does, God, God wants His people communing with Him in prayer, in the Word, in the body of Christ. And people often lack assurance for reasons such as these. Now, I'll mention one that's not really a reason, but it's a complicating factor, is that Sometimes there really are physiological realities that complicate our ability to think straight, okay? When you are really, really, Alistair Begg wisely said, when you are fatigued, like you're at the end of your energy rope, right? You cannot think straight. You've been there, right? You've tried to drive. Shame on you. But you, you are just exhausted. It's the end of the week. And he just says there are certain things you shouldn't do, like change jobs, But also, you shouldn't evaluate your spiritual life when you're exhausted like that. And the reality is, is that when our thinking is clouded by physiological things, some medications make it difficult to think straight. So those aren't reasons you would lack assurance, but they can complicate clear thinking on these matters. But how how do we gain assurance? The Apostle Paul comes along and he doesn't say, well, did you really mean it? Way back when. You know, when you had that religious experience. When you participated in that religious observation. Did you mean it? He doesn't point to our sincerity there. He doesn't even point to the sign of baptism. You know what he points to? The seal of the Spirit. That's where he would take us. I think he'd say, did you read that letter that I once wrote? To Ephesus? Just toward the beginning. Go back to the part about the Spirit. The Spirit. And there's where you'll find information that helps you understand whether you are in Christ, where you will find assurance. How can we know that we have been chosen before the foundation of the world? How can we know that we have been adopted as sons? How can we know we have redemption through His blood? How can we know we have obtained an inheritance? The answer is The Spirit guarantees it. And that's what we're going to think about this morning. As we think about verses 13 and 14, we will see that we bless God because He sealed us with His Spirit. This whole passage flows out of the first phrase, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Everything else flows out. It is exemplary of what it means to be blessed with every spiritual blessing. And so we bless God for all these things that we've been looking at. And today we bless God because He sealed us with His Spirit. And so I want us to look at this first by thinking about the person who seals. The person who seals, it is the Holy Spirit. He is the third person in the Trinity. If that word is unfamiliar with you, you won't find it in the Bible. Trinity is a summary of the doctrine that we understand the Bible teaches, which is that there is one God, and this one God exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You even see those persons here, don't you? Look at verse 3. We have, "...Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." We see the Son very clearly uh, in verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. That is, the Father did not die on the cross for you. The Spirit did not die on the cross for you. The Son of God died on the cross. And then we see here in the text that we're looking at, the promised spirit who seals. The Holy Spirit is God. He is the powerful and personal presence of God who accomplishes God's work. And so we see that same kind of sealing in a place like 2 Corinthians 1, verses 21 and 22. Just jot it down and you can go go back to that later. But you'll see this same kind of sealing language there which we'll get to what that, what that is, what that means in just one second. But I want you to notice this before we go away from the person who seals. Have you noticed all along the way who the actor is in this passage? The actor in all of these things, the one who is doing the giving, the one who is doing the blessing, the one who is giving what we have... Is God. From beginning to end, God is the giver of spiritual life and we are the receivers. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not because you went out and got it, it's because He came and got you. It's because He has given eternal life. He has given redemption. He has given forgiveness. He has given justification. We simply receive by faith that which He has determined to give. It is a reminder, isn't it, that that all of our spiritual lives, that there really is no ground for me to boast—not in my own heart, not as I look at an unbelieving world. As I look at an, look as we look at an unbelieving world, the rhetoric of social media and the blogosphere and uh, Christian media outlets sometimes gets so hateful, and it just—it just travels. It crosses the line right into arrogance. Dear friend, do do not boast that you are better than your neighbor who does not believe and whose worldview is contradictory. Boast in the Lord Jesus Christ and His cross, which has redeemed you. The Lord doesn't want us looking down our noses at the world. It wants us looking through the cross to the world. God is the one who initiates it. By the power of His Spirit, He started the work of salvation in us. By His Spirit, He's continuing the work of salvation in us. And He will complete the work in us. He who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. You see, left on our own, we would completely fail. Completely, (laughs) utterly fail. But the Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, and He cannot fail. That's the good news. Too much of Christian living in the Christian sphere right now is about how I'm this, and I'm that, and I'm this. So I'm empowering myself with things about me, which actually may be things that are said in the Bible. But, dear friend, the only thing that empowers us to live for Christ, the only thing that empowers us to get to the end, the only one who empowers us to make it to glory is the Holy Spirit of God. He's the only way we're going to persevere. He's the only way we're going to obey. He's the only way we're going to have any assurance of anything. It's not because I can recite things that the Bible says about the people of God. It's because the Holy Spirit of God lives within me as one of the people of God. That may seem like a fine line, but it is huge because the pointer of one statement is to me and the pointer of the other is to God. That's why Paul calls the Holy Spirit the guarantee, verse 14, of our inheritance. This is this is the legal equivalent of earnest money. I mean, you go to buy a house, you put down that earnest money uh, and that earnest money is a promise that you're going to pay the rest. That the rest of what you say you're going to pay, you're going to pay. And God has given us Himself as earnest money. He has given us His Spirit as earnest money Himself so that He is the guarantee that we will make it. He is the guarantee that the fullness of the inheritance will be ours. Isn't that great? That is glorious truth. He has not only saved us for himself, he has given us himself. To guarantee he will bring us to himself, to the praise of his glory. That's great. The person who seals. Secondly, the people who are sealed. Notice how verse 13 begins. So uh, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, the sentence is, in Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's the flow of the main thought. That's still a subordinate clause, but it's the flow of the main thought of the subordinate clause. But there is something that Paul throws in to clarify what he means. Now, we looked last week, the first to believe in verse 12 were the Jews, but Paul makes no distinction because in Him you also have an inheritance, we who are Gentiles. But He describes us in a particular way. He describes all of those who are sealed with the Spirit in a particular way, which is, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. They have heard the gospel and believed in Christ. Heard the gospel... Believed in Christ. They have heard of the God who is the creator, the holy creator and judge of all mankind, who has made us in his image to worship him, to serve him by having dominion over creation. They have heard of our rebellion against God, how we have fallen short of his glory, how we have disobeyed his law, how we are dead in our own sin, how we have gone our own way. They have heard of God's judgment, which we rightly deserve. A judgment that isn't a bad life here on earth. A judgment that isn't merely physical death. A judgment that is eternal, conscious torment in hell. They've not only heard of God's judgment, they've heard of God's provision in the Lord Jesus Christ who came, who is the God-man, who came and lived a life fully obedient to the Father, fully obedient to the law, who came and taught the way of God and did the works of God, who performed miracles displaying both His divinity and displaying that in the end everything will be made right. He didn't so much make life better for those who were crippled and blind and deaf. He made life the way it will be for all who trust in Him in the end, which is perfectly whole. And they heard of God's provision in Jesus on the cross, of the atonement of Jesus' blood shed for our sin to cleanse us, to make us free of all unrighteousness who... who, who, Who died so that we might live, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, of all who believe. And they heard of the need to respond with repentance, leaving our self oriented life behind, and trust turning away from sin, and by faith trusting Jesus Christ as Savior and following Him as Lord. This is the message that they heard. When you boil it down, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, this is the gospel that I preach to you, that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures and that He appeared. Let me ask you, if you're a Christian, do you tune out when that kind of stuff is said? You like tune out, you're like, oh yeah, Toby's at the part where he explains the gospel. Yeah, yeah, got that. Ask yourself, do I I tune out when the truths and beauties of the gospel are being presented? There's nothing special about the way I'm presenting them. I'm just telling you what Jesus has done for us. But dear friends, just think back to an hour ago when we were sitting here talking about evangelism. If we tune out when the gospel is being presented, if we don't revel in every time I remember my sin and God's provision, how will we ever be winsome witnesses to other folk if it's not winning me over and over again? If it's not stirring my affections... Why would I ever be stirred to share it with someone else? But this business of hearing, this is why what we discuss, this is why the commitment to get the gospel not just to the ends of the world, but to the end of the street is so critical. Because God in His glorious goodness and wisdom and kindness toward us allows us to be part of glorifying Him by sharing a gospel that must be heard so that a new worshiper is born out of a dead sinner. God doesn't save in other ways. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And how will they call on one they have not believed? And how will they believe unless they hear? In other words... As we are wanting to increase prayer, as we are wanting to get the gospel everywhere that we can reach, as we want to overflow the joy of knowing Christ in our everyday lives, we don't simply need to be praying. We don't simply need to be talking to God about the lost people in our lives. We need to be talking to the lost people in our lives about God. It's both and proposition, it's not either or. Without the prayer, there's no power. And without the obedience, there's no gospel presentation. And how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And the next question is, and how are they going to hear the preaching unless someone is sent? Now, I want you to do something for me. I want you to think right now of your address. Okay, you got your address in your mind? I just want you to say your street name on the count of three. You ready? Just your street name. If it's the same, that'll be creepy. But your street name on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Tadpole Court. Did you hear all that? We have missionary partners. We have evangelism partners on so many streets in Indianapolis. Isn't that great? We could do it the same thing with our place of work. We could do it the same with the recreation league that our kids are involved in. We could do the same thing with the various uh, book clubs and crafting things and 4-H things and state fair things and all those different things that people do. We could just name them all over and over and over and over and over again. The gym that you go to work out at and, and we have evangelistic partners there. We need to be doing evangelistic work in all these places. Not y'all. We. Because how will they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear? How, How will they hear you know how uh, there's, this, there's this pattern of where you put your name in the Bible, right? You put your name in. You try to personalize for God so loved Toby that he gave his only... You know, these kinds of things. Nobody puts their name in Romans 10, 14. How, how will they believe in whom they haven't heard? And, and how are they to hear without Toby preaching? There's a question. Put your name in that text. How are they to hear unless Janine shares the gospel? How are they to hear unless Brian shares the gospel? How are they to hear unless Opie shares the gospel? How are they to hear unless Hondi shares the gospel? How are they to hear unless CJ shares the gospel? How are they to hear? How are they to hear unless Ken Snyder shares the gospel? Right? Putting it off to other people is unacceptable. We must be a people committed to people hearing the gospel. Why? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Having heard, they believed in Christ. They believed in Christ. That's what he said. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him... Now, just for a quick reference, that belief is a kind of... uh, Man, it's ubiquitous, isn't it? It's everywhere. Believe in yourself, believe in others, believe in the power of healing, believe in this, believe in that, have faith in this, have faith in that. What is it that the Bible means by faith? And the Protestant Reformers did a great job of just breaking it down to three, three pieces that come together to make biblical faith. Okay, Latin words. Are you ready? I will not say them correctly. Are you ready for that? You should. Notitia is the first one, which means to actually have the content, have the information. You cannot have faith in Jesus without knowing actual information about Jesus. That's, what, that's why we're committed to people hearing the gospel at the end of the street, because people have to hear the content of the gospel. And then there is a census, which is to believe that those facts of the gospel are true, to believe that Jesus really did die, to, to actually believe Christian, Christian faith, uh, doctrines of the Christian faith are true, is the next piece of this puzzle. And then the last is fiducia, which is a word of trust. We don't just have the information We don't just believe it to be true, we believe it in the sense that we are trusting that truth to be our only hope. We are trusting that Savior, we are entrusting ourselves to Him. We are trusting that His death didn't just happen, His death is for me, for my sin. His death and resurrection is my only hope of being right with God. These people didn't just hear the facts and they didn't just come to just mentally assent to, okay, yeah, all right, sure. The ones who are sealed with the Spirit are clinging to Jesus with all of their might as their only hope of salvation. Are you? Where are you on that journey? You got the facts? Pretty much believe they're true? Let me tell you what. A lot of our, in a, in a Christianized type of society where people can travel in Christian discourse relatively well, people who have maybe a church background... Some of your friends, some of my friends who can quote all sorts of Bible verses and have that doctrinal conversation with the best of them. The issue isn't just knowing stuff. It's trusting Jesus. Which we can't do unless we have the information and believe it to be true. And so, those who heard the gospel... And believed in Christ are those who are sealed with the Spirit. Now, the third is then, what is the purpose of this seal? What what is this seal good for? The seal was essentially used in the ancient world for three purposes, all of them relevant to our understanding of the Spirit's seal. First, a seal guarantees the genuine nature of a document or a person. Okay? So, <clears throat> when uh, we, we talk about giving something our seal of approval, right? Uh, when, when, when any educational institution gives those degrees that you... Well, they are putting their stamp that this person has done the work necessary to earn all the rights and privileges associated with this degree. It is a kind of seal of approval. In Esther 8, Esther was given permission to write a letter and send it out and put the king's seal on it so that the Jews could defend themselves and the Jews were saved through it. She used the king's seal because the king put his stamp of approval on her writing that letter. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is defending his apostleship and he says this about the Corinthian believers. You are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. The, the, fruit, the, the fact that they are in Christ, the fact that they're believers, the, the, the fact that they're Christians at all is a testimony. It's the seal of approval on his ministry. That's what he's saying there. But a seal was also used as a mark of ownership. When I graduated from seminary, uh, I got in trouble last week with my bride for telling the story about the one-armed man. That was supposed to be, it's actually really a funny story. He laughed. We all laughed. So if you were hesitating to laugh, just know that he laughed. So uh, you should laugh too later. And if you haven't listened to it, listen and just laugh. All right? Don't feel hesitant to laugh. He laughed. Anyway, I got in trouble. So let me say something uh, wonderful uh, when I, when I graduated from seminary, I didn't really get in trouble, but she did give me that, this look, right? So uh, when, I, when I graduated from seminary, my, my bride gave me a very kind gift. She had an embossing seal made for me. And so in the front page of my books, particularly if I lend them out because I want to make sure that whoever borrows them remembers who they got it from, I just... I take that and on the front page, and it says, From the Library of Reverend Toby Johnson. This is the last time I was ever called Reverend, but was on that stamp. But I put that on there. And that way, what does it do? That seal is a mark of ownership. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 28, I believe, when God is giving instruction about the priests, He said, On their headdress, take a gold plate. And they are to engrave it. And he says, uh, you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave it like the engraving of a signet, which is the word for seal. And that signet is to read holy to the Lord. In other words, right on the front of their foreheads, the priests will have themselves sealed as belonging to the Lord, set apart to the Lord, holy to the Lord. A seal also protects against harm. Now, we encounter this all the time, right? If you go go to the grocery store today and you want to get a bag of Lay's and one of them's opened and one of them's not, which one are you buying? The sealed one, unless you are really ambitious about getting a discount for an open bag of chips and then... Good for you. <laughs> All right. That's wonderful. But uh, uh, why, why do we want that seal? Why do you want your make sure your pill bottle was sealed when you open it up? Why do you want to make sure you got to break that seal to get in there? Because you want to make sure nothing was tampered with. There was no nothing went wrong. And in fact, they tried that with Jesus tomb, didn't they? I mean, that's what they did, especially for high profile deaths. They sealed the tomb to make sure nothing happened. So in Matthew 27, 66 They went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, in that case, the seal did not protect against him coming out. But that was their intention. Dear friend, if you have trusted Christ, if you have heard the gospel and believed in him, all these things apply to you. The seal of the Spirit marks you as a genuine Christian approved by God because of Jesus Christ. The seal of the Spirit marks you as one belonging to God, purchased by the blood of Christ. The seal of the Spirit protects you from harm so that you are never separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus and you will, in fact, arrive safely in glory. That's what the Spirit has sealed us. That's what the Spirit's seal means. And we bless God because He has sealed us with His Spirit. But I want to leave you with one last thing. And that is the proof of the seal. It is not located in these two verses. But later on in Ephesians, Paul is going to say, Do not quench the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And that, in Ephesians 4.30, stands in the midst of three chapters of what it means to live as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. To live as one sealed by the Spirit. And in the middle of it, Paul says, don't quench quench the Spirit who sealed you. Don't grieve Him. I mean, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There are real visible qualities that reveal the presence of the spirit that reveal one who is not grieving the spirit and if you start at chapter 4 verse 1 and you read through the end of the book you will see plenty of examples i'm not going to mention all of them but what is the proof that the spirit actually has sealed me that i'm that i'm sealed that that my faith is actually genuine and that the spirit has actually sealed me one you'll do what Paul says is his thesis statement in chapter 4, verse 1, which is walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Chapter 4, verses 2 to 3, you'll be humble, gentle, patient, bear with others, eager to be unified in the church. Chapter 4, verse 11 to 16, you'll be active in the ministry of the church, seeking to build the church up in love by speaking the truth to one another. Chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, you'll live in a way that is clearly distinct from the world's wisdom and values, Chapter 4, verse 29, your words will be gracious to others and not corrosive. In chapter 4, verses 31 to 32, you will put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and all malice. And you will be kind, tender-hearted, and forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven you. Chapter 5, verse 2, you will love others as Christ has loved you. Chapter 5, verse 3, sexual purity and holiness will mark your life. Chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, you will glorify God in your marriage by living according to God's word. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, you will maintain a God-honoring obedience and and leadership within parents and children in your home. Chapter 6, verses 5 to 9, you will focus your work life on honoring God, whether you're the one in authority or you're the one under authority. You see these things? I mean, that's just very, very quickly rattled. You need to take half an hour and just read the second half of Ephesians. Do you want to know what it looks like for the Spirit to actually produce fruit in your life? Well, there it is. Go to Galatians 5, same thing. That's how you walk in the Spirit. The proof that I actually have assurance is not limited to the inner life of the believer. The assurance that I actually have the Spirit, that the Spirit of God actually lives in me, is that by the power of the Spirit I put to death the deeds of the body. If all we did was walk out saying, hey, the Holy Spirit seals us and we've, I've heard and I can say I believed and love what it says about the sealing, what that means. We should. But don't you want, don't you want to know that the Spirit actually lives within you? The proof is in the life. It's not limited to the inside. It's not based on how you feel about certain things. It's not about, it's not about the experiential. It's an internal experience. It's about actually life experience. It's am I actually living according to the word of the Spirit who has sealed me? Does my life actually look like it belongs to God? The seal of the Spirit is a great blessing for those who see God's work by the Spirit in their lives. And these truths about the seal of the Spirit should be a sobering wake-up call for those who do not see the Spirit's work in their lives. Have you heard? Have you believed? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? As you look at your life, can you see evidence of the seal of the Spirit in your life? And even when those things go awry, that whole list, is there actual conviction? Do you, does it gnaw at you? Do you hate it? Do you want to change? Do you want to grow? Do you want to please God? As you look in the mirror of your life, what do you see? Do you see evidence of God's sealing Spirit? Let's pray. Father, we bow before You, thankful for Your goodness and grace to us, thankful for the sufficient sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. We pray, Father, today that as we think through these things, that You will give us clarity, that by Your Spirit we will see clearly where we are with You. For those who have not believed in Christ, for those who have heard and maybe heard over and over and never believed, I pray by Your Spirit that You will give new life, that You will open their eyes, that You will give them the gift of faith, that they will run to the Lord Jesus Christ and embrace Him and gladly profess their faith in baptism and follow You their whole lives. And I pray for us who profess to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you help us in the right way to examine our lives to see if we are in the faith, to see evidence of the seal of the Spirit? Would you bring encouragement where the Spirit is at work? Would you bring conviction where we have been resistant, where we are grieving the Spirit? Would you change us so that we honor you, so that we glorify you, so that truly we are a light for the Lord Jesus Christ set on a hill? We pray all of this so that You will be glorified among us to the praise of Your glory. May it all be for Jesus' sake and in His name we pray. Amen.